Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, significant losses for Spurs and Arsenal this weekend. Spurs seem to have lost their way completely and Arsenal haven't beaten a team in the top six since their manager was George Graham. Is it time to ring the bells of crisis in North London? Meanwhile, tactical masterclasses from Steve Bruce and Roy Hodgson proving that the future of football in this country is all about old English managers. Who knew? Plus, Syria out returns with more goals than expected and football's greatest solo performances. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Aston Villa superhero. It's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Hi. I'm still going to try and finish my banana in the show, oh. even though you say it's not doable. It's finished. <laughs> it's not finished. There's a little bit left in there. Oh, my God. That's finished. The yeah, voice of finished. descent you are hearing is it's that early. of Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Hi, I'm all right. And you? Yeah, very well. Good bank holiday weekend. Oh, said he has back. Yeah, that's exciting. We will get on to that later, completing our lineup. It's only JJ Ball. What's happening, JJ? Hello. I've never had a bank holiday. You've never weekend. had a bank holiday? I've only ever worked shift jobs my entire life. Oh, no. So I'm glad everyone else enjoyed their bank oh. holidays. Oh. Uh, I didn't have a bank holiday. Well, good. Maybe I've never had a bank holiday. What is a bank holiday? Exactly. I haven't had one since I moved into this job. Tom Gibbs has some now. He got promoted. <laughs> <laughs> didn't used to. I can only apologise for this podcast coming out on a Tuesday. It won't happen again. I can't make that guarantee. I've, I've, I've gone too big too early there. <laughs> Let's cast our minds all the way back to Saturday where Liverpool swatted aside Arsenal Anfield. Arsenal looked to be doing a decent job to begin with, but the end result is the same. It's now a failure to win any of their last 23 away games against fellow big six sides. They've drawn eight and lost 15 uh, conceded 53 goals as well during this run uh, we will now hear from Sam Dean who was at Anfield for us well that was a game that briefly threatened to be more positive than usual for Arsenal on their travels to Anfield but uh, in the end it was very much a case of normal service resumed as Liverpool won 3-1 thanks to goals from Joel Matip who scored from a corner in the first half and then two strikes from Mohamed Salah after the break uh, thanks very much to the uh, defensive inadequacies of David Luiz who was pretty much doing his best uh, Shodran Mustafi impression in the second half giving away a needless penalty by pulling Salah's shirt and then diving in 
on around the halfway line and allowing Salah to run free um, and score the third and put the game beyond all doubt. I mean, there were moments of positivity for Arsenal, particularly in the first half when Nicola Pepe and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang caused danger on the on the counter-attack. But all in all, Liverpool deserved their win and Klopp was delighted with the sort of the physicality, the intensity and the, the, the all-round strength of their performance. I mean, they look good. They look... Uh, better today than they had at any other point this season still no clean sheet they still want to get Alisson Becker back as soon as possible because Adrian's kicking is a bit dodgy but there can't be many complaints on Liverpool side of things today and, and while there are positives for Arsenal this was just another reminder of how far there is to go before they can compete with the top sides in Europe so JJ Sam obviously speaking about David Luiz there was this exactly the sort of performance that Arsenal fans would have been worried about when signing him I think David Luiz gets a hard time. I know he makes occasional oh, mistakes. Oh, God. Oh, see, here we go. This is how we know and it's Aberdeen fan. <laughs> no, but like, so sure enough, the penalty, right? If we're going to start with Luiz. So the, the the tug of the shirt, the reason he's wrong side of Salah is because he sees the ball's going to be clipped in and it's uh, coming on and, and I think Alexander Arnold comes onto his left foot and chips it and Luiz comes out to try and intercept. He thinks the ball is coming in to Salah's run, which will be to his left. So he comes to run and course to get it, which is what he's very good at doing, and anticipation, preventing danger, and then he can start a counter-attack. And their whole setup was to play in the counter. That is a hugely valuable opportunity to break up the other end. If he'd made it, great. Unfortunately, he didn't, and he's wrong side. But it's a stupid pull of the shirt. Like, to, know, If you're going to pull a shirt, at least do it somewhere where you know the referee's not got eyes on you. Maybe, but he's definitely getting away from him, and that's the thing, and he's already in the box. And like if... If you're in the box, someone running past you, like it's not, you, you just grab a little bit, but because the shirt just it comes out like a, I don't know, like a you tent. You don't grab like a, it when you're over band. thirty. I feel like this is something you do when you're twenty-three, but I just feel like at this point you've played at every high-level game. I know, but I mean, thing, thing, he doesn't grab the shirt, right? Salah's through and he shoots anyway. And I, I mean, I can't, who is it? it? Was a defender, I think, on one of the shows, the many millions of football TV <laughs> shows or podcasts there are was saying how, um, maybe Danny Murphy actually said that he gets away, you just let him take the shot, you can't then pull his shirt because you know you'll give away a penalty. But, I mean, at least he's doing something because he's missed Salah. Salah's going to probably score. If he doesn't make it and people go, oh, why didn't he do anything? This like, is a strange defence. I know, but like I, I, I agree <laughs> it's a mistake. At least he did something. I agree it's a strange defence. No, but you know when you're playing 11s <laughs> and someone goes past you, like if someone's just getting away, you're playing 7s or something, you just give but them a little That pull. is a completely different level. That's completely irrelevant. I don't think it's that different a game. It's massively <laughs> irrelevant. David Luiz, the second goal was... Uh, sorry, the, the third goal, Salah's second goal was classic Luiz. Mm. Charge out of position. Mm. Miss the challenge horribly. Had to already get sent off. And then don't bother running back. Don't bother. Just, yeah, that's just, what's annoying just wait. as well. Oh, just wait and watch it then all go wrong in front of I you after you've just well. charged out. He's completely headless. I can defend that as well. So the reason he comes... You can't. But he's, so this he, is going to be another irrelevant defence. Okay, so the reason he comes out <laughs> again... Like Arsenal's. <laughs> just the reason he cut, comes out to try and get the ball <laughs> is because he thinks he can nick it again and he's read it wrong. So that's the mistake because he's read that wrong. The mistake isn't then not wiping out Salah because he'd be off and that would be terrible. He's just signing for the club. He's going to miss all these games. He's about 10 men and get absolutely done by Liverpool. And then by the time Salah's going past him, he's already about like 30 yards. But that's yards still not him. a defence. The, the solution is either don't charge out there, or if you charge out there, tackle him. Okay. But you can you so be sent off. The point what, is... What, by tackling him? Yeah, there's no... Yeah, you've, you've seen this He missed the ball times. completely. He completely air-kicked. Yeah, because he, he ran in to try and nick the ball and got it wrong. That was his mistake. Not, not wiping well, And out. running out there, completely out of position. <laughs> okay, get... He's so bad. He no. lets you down all the time. <laughs> Mina, restore some order, please. Listen, all, all I'm, I, you're never going to catch Salah, right? Because he's like the fastest man. 
Okay, so just defend the space or get him to divert his run. Just don't let him come into the danger areas. Benitez said that if you understand how to neutralize this, then all you need to do is always make sure he's just running out. And and I think with it's almost like David Luiz is it's true. Like either tackle him. Or what are you doing? He, could, he would definitely, definitely have failed him if he tackled him. So don't him. go out there then. So I know, but he's exactly already, he'd already gone. But that's part of the mistake. I'm you saying, can't defend I him. I agree. For... I just said that is the mistake. Aww. The mistake is going out early. He should, he should have given him a few yards and been a deeper starting position. That he, is his mistake. He will just always let you down. But David Luiz isn't just the problem. Yeah. Emery's another problem. Okay, so aside from Luiz, <laughs> I thought Arsenal actually... Looked quite promising in the first half with how they set up for this. They were trying to counter. Were you not impressed a little bit with that, Mina? It seemed to me like this might be the blueprint of how they do get over this awful record away against the Big Six. So I know they've come into a lot of criticism for playing the diamond formation because obviously Liverpool are so good in the wide areas because they have the best fullbacks probably in the league. But I don't think that it was something that I would have gone for. But I could, sort of can understand what Emery was trying to do with that. But I also don't get the playing out from the back. I think that sometimes you have a philosophy, but it cannot come above everything. You have to understand who your opponent is. You have to try to decipher the way that they play their football and find a way of neutralizing it. And that and your philosophy cannot be more important than that. But you mean, if you put the ball at the pitch, you just have Liverpool coming at you again and again and again and again. So why would you just clear it up the pitch? Just clear it. But they were trying to play the ball out. But you'd never have the ball. You'd be, they'd be coming at you the whole time. You can't just clear it. It's the whole problem with like, a lot of English teams. You just boot it. Who's they got up front? Aubameyang's yeah. not going to win headers. If, when, they win went headers. To a, when they had Nicolas Pepe on. Yeah. That's what you do. This is the whole point with having Pepe there. They got Pepe there by playing out from the back and getting it to them in the wide area. But there's no point because they weren't, they weren't managing it with playing from the ball out from the back. So you're saying they have to play out because otherwise they wouldn't keep possession. You can't get the ball to your forwards in that system or at all really against a team like Liverpool unless you keep the ball. If you launch it high, you've got to push all your players into a little block and push them right up the pitch to the side that your goalkeeper is going to kick it and then try and win the second ball. Liverpool are the best transition team in the entire world. If you don't win the first or second ball, so what would you they'll do? score. What would you do? Always play it from the back. But you just it's all about like practicing. What happens if you're playing the, a team that's so superb at attacking high up the pitch and getting and pressing? What do you do then? Well, then there should always be options. You can try and get a, a so your other option, if you're not playing out to one of the centre-backs or the full-backs, you can probably chip to someone who goes slightly wider. But I don't think you should ever aim to put it to someone who's standing like by the halfway line or beyond it to try and get it out. If you're under pressure, there are times and places where you can boot it, but I think you need to keep so the ball longer to draw them out. if you have money running towards you, okay, yeah. I can understand that. But then you have to be quicker in the way you're moving the ball if you're playing out from the back. Well, of course you have to, but it's very difficult. And, it's, and the problem is you're kind of in a bad situation against teams like Liverpool and Man City because their press is very organised and puts you into situations where you then have to clear it. They don't go for the straight, they don't try and get you with the first line of press. They sort of lead you to somewhere and then try and steal it. So they're setting little traps. And you see it like when Ceballos hit that... Um, that clearance, he was trying to obviously get a ball over to the side. There was players over the other side he was trying to get to, and he mishit it, passed straight to Manny in the middle of the box, and he was getting slagged off for that. <laughs> but, I mean, under that kind of pressure, that's what you're saying, what do you do? You want to get rid, and you, but you can see where the ball's going to go, but you're surrounded by four players? Like what? <laughs> it's mental like, how so you're saying basically it's impossible to get play against Liverpool there's just no way that Arsenal can get there out there absolutely of this. is a way but the best way is to keep the ball if you don't have the ball you can't do anything with it if you don't have the ball the other team have the ball and they're really dangerous let's move on from analysing Arsenal and talk briefly about Liverpool Matt do you think they've got better over the off season they seem to have started no. possibly even better than City no I don't think they've got better um, I think they're pretty much the same um, we talked in the first show or the preview shows about they how obviously they didn't really do anything in the transfer market and they've looked a little bit dodgy in defence 
um, before the Arsenal game. Uh, Van Dijk uh, before the Arsenal game wasn't quite for the first couple of games at that level we'd seen. And for all of Trent Alexander-Arnold's brilliance going forwards, I think a few teams had maybe pinpointed the fact you can get at him a little bit. So no, I don't think they're better. Um, They've started really well results-wise, but I still think Klopp will be not concerned, but aware of the fact that there are a few little defensive issues to sort out and that while the start is really, really good for them, they're, they're still not... They're still not at the level where I'd say they're going to beat City to the title at the moment. I think their style of football means that sometimes they can be an easier team to start off better than, say, a City or a Spurs. I I think that their kind of football, um, if you have the energy for it, I guess, I I feel like they were. The problem isn't the beginning, it's the problem is in the middle of the season when I feel like it might just catch up with them the energy levels the fact that you've had three players playing in summer tournaments they're three forwards that's when you think that oh I really would have liked it if they had a bit more squad depth right now you feel like they'll get through to December and they'll be extraordinary it's just that when the crunch you know matches come up and these guys are exhausted would you then feel the burn there's still there was still evidence as well with that Aubameyang chance that while Alisson's out they could get caught out by someone with Adrian because you just can't deal with trying to play it out. I actually thought, I was listening to the, the game in the car and they had um, Sam Allardyce on co-commentary. Allardyce signed Adrian for West Ham and he actually gave a very good sort of analysis of Adrian and he, he said his one big flaw, and it was at West Ham as well, is that he's no good with the ball at his feet. Not ideal for Liverpool and not ideal either for Manchester United, Mina, who lost 2-1 at home to Crystal Palace on Saturday, uh, they got another penalty after all the furore in the previous week about Pogba missing his penalty at Wolves. Marcus Rashford takes it. They still missed it. Come on, Nina, that is quite funny. It is quite <laughs> funny. Um, but I have to say, it was a really good penalty. It was well saved. Like, as in, if, you know, if you're going to get a penalty saved, um, then you, know, you kind of want to be going out there delivering that kind of penalty. I thought it was really good. 22 shots, three on target for United. Palace had five shots, three on target. I mean, that is extraordinary. I think that that tells you a lot about the forward line at the moment. I don't know what to tell you about them because I really felt like, do you think they need a third penalty taker? Do you think this would make everything a lot easier if they just had backups to all their backups? But what about is... an actual tombola? Gary Neville said it's not, you know, it's not a tombola. Maybe they should look at that. What's a tombola? Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Question. A big, uh, what shape is a tombola? Like an octagon, Hexagon, maybe? Maybe. Okay. What shape is a tombola? AFC podcast at telegraph.co.uk, <laughs> if you can tell us. Uh, but, you know, make make it random or have the crowd vote on it, possibly. But I I, know, I don't understand because obviously I wasn't here last week and everyone was saying that this shows Gary, uh, sorry, Gary Neville, this shows Solskjaer to be really weak in management. I just don't get it. I don't get why there was such so much anger about it. And I know that Ferguson was very good and having like, you know, a set penalty taker and the one time he didn't, he was like, I didn't make this clear. I'm so sorry. I take... You know, I, I, I'm, it's my fault. And I, I still don't understand. If you have a dressing room that understands each other and usually you just talk about it and it's two guys. I mean, sometimes we have, I mean, I support Juventus and sometimes you'll get like Bonucci taking the penalty. Sometimes you'll get that. Some Pirlo back then. Now it's Ronaldo and you think you can't take it off him. But generally speaking, I feel like it's two guys. They know each other. It's not such a huge issue. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a phony argument. Yeah. I actually listened to former Telegraph employee Mark Ogden give a great analysis of United over the weekend. And he was saying that he doesn't. He thinks they're going to really struggle just to get in the top six. Um, and he argued that their 
an injury in every position away from a crisis. So if one of the forwards gets injured, they're in a crisis. If Pogba were to get injured, they're in a midfield crisis. Maguire or one of the fullbacks gets uh, when Basaka gets injured, they're in a crisis. They haven't actually got a lot of depth to that squad. And I hadn't thought about it until I listened to Mark talk about it. And while uh, Mina's going to jump in and say they've got lots of players and things, I think, but mm-hmm. they haven't. They haven't actually. Weirdly, it's weird they haven't brought anyone in, having let Lukaku go. Whatever you say about Lukaku, it seems to leave them light up front, particularly when you're you're assuming that Sanchez isn't going to get a look in, even if if he sticks around, which is unclear at the moment. We talked about the fact they hadn't really done enough in midfield. Yeah, that's uh, the problem. Yeah, and they look really short. They do look really short. I think it's... it's Short of quality, should I say. And then you all of a sudden, everything that happens that goes wrong in the game is going to be blamed on Paul Pogba. And then I look at that midfield and I think, who exactly have you given him to play alongside? Yeah. So it's a midfield that cannot control games. I do think their only plan can be to counterattack. And that is what they did so well uh, against Chelsea and won that match. And for me, I just look at that team and I think that it's so bereft of actual quality. I do think Juan Bissaka is great. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for Harry Maguire to like, you know, find his feet. But you look at that, you look at that team, and I just don't see any other ways of of playing. It's it's not a team that's tactically adept at playing different formations or playing different styles of football or neutralising the opponent. They can only play this one style of football and really hope they get through it. Shouldn't just criticise United, of course, though. JJ Palace had a game plan and executed it. Uh, yeah, Palace have got some some great statistic. I can't remember who tweeted it. it Maybe Daniel Story actually. Where since um, I think it's last. Or since February or something like that, they beat Fulham. They lost to Fulham. I think that they've had more. They've had thirty points, which puts them third in the table, basically of any team. Only Liverpool, Man City are ahead of them. So Hodgson clearly knows what he's doing. The plan against Man United is to wait for them to make a mistake, pounce, and then go. Uh, the goal, they, the first goal they scored was a, a long ball that Lindelof didn't read very well, lost a header, and Ayu went in to score. But like I mean, the United just aren't. Um, they're not quite there, and they, like when they play against Wolves, I think that's a good measure of how good they actually are. They are definitely sort of top eight, but they're not any better than teams like that. Lack of depth will hurt, will hurt them. Another interesting thing is that because Solskjaer's gone the town on kind of fitness in, in uh, pre-season, and uh, I wonder how much of that is really old school style training. I'm sure he's doing everything with the ball or whatever, but they've already started to get muscle injuries coming in, and that's about three games in, and that's a real worry. Because if their conditioning's been done to try and get them super fit and then they're already fatiguing them, that's the kind of thing that you get, like that guy Raymond Verheyen will be <laughs> going nuts on Twitter about it. But yeah, that's, that's relevant. If cool. they're lacking in depth, that's going to be a real problem. Little word of appreciation for Gary Cahill. Oh, of course. Who uh, started his <laughs> Crystal Palace career well, superbly. Never doubted him, did we, Matt? Never. He's going to be really a great signing for them. <laughs> I'd, if I had tattoos of all the players I had unhealthy love for, I'd, like, I'd definitely have at least two sleeves worth. <laughs> Unfortunately, we should mention the grim abuse on social media for Pogba and Rashford. Harry Maguire wants passports required to get an account on Twitter. Phil Neville says players should just quit it. Both of those seems like... Sort of semi-reasonable suggestions to me. Do any of you have any of your own of, I, how, of how this... I think both both are good. I do think why why there isn't some sort of registration process, there's no reason not to. Um, and then secondly, I, I thought myself afterwards whether at some point a Premier League club is going to be sort of strong enough at some stage to actually bring themselves off Twitter um, in in kind of... 
you know, just trying to create a stance against it all. Um, and that's what Phil Neville was saying. I can understand both points because it feels like it feels like lip service every time Twitter talk about trying to do something. I mean, they're saying they're going to have talks with Kick It Out. What have you got to talk about? I don't really understand where the discussion is. <laughs> Kick It Out say, yeah, it's a disgrace. Loads of people are being racially abused all the time. You're not doing anything about it. What are Twitter saying? I, I don't get where, where the discussion is. It just needs action. Quite. What about Newcastle, JJ? They saw off Spurs yeah. at Nouveau White Hart Lane. Uh, you were tweeting about... Uh, Give me, give me the pronunciation we're going with for Newcastle's new striker. Joe Ellington. Joe Ellington. Joe Ellington. Yeah. Interesting. I was calling him Joe Ellington. I was out there and I asked a question about him to Steve Bruce, but I called him Joe Ellington and I was like, ah, I've already ruined it. But it's Joe Ellington, apparently. Okay. They were sort of going with Joey Linton a little bit on the mm. commentary. I don't know. It, there's different. It's definitely That's what Joe my Ellington. That's it is when I type his oh. name. Joe, yeah, Joe Ellington. It sounds a bit like, a, like an animal they'd have in Winnie the Pooh. Anyway, good at football, isn't he? Yes, he's absolutely great. Um, I thought he was the best like standout player in, in the game. Paul Dummett got all the man in the match stuff because he bravely headed away things like a human wall. But uh, Joel Linton, Joel Linton, was uh, <laughs> in charge of everything for Newcastle. He uh, so movement off the ball is is great. But he, uh, I think you can the best. How do I describe the best way to do it? When he came off and he, he came off absolutely exhausted, like I've not seen a man so deflated, like a balloon falling out of the sky, and he just landed on the ground. And I got like a division as he left, and then on came uh, the boy's name Muto, the striker they have. He came on and replaced him, and you could see there's like a, f- a few leagues of difference in quality. Um, Spurs players didn't like Joe Linton. Joe Ellington, they couldn't get close to him. <laughs> didn't want to try and mark him. It meant that rather than, rather than keeping one man back the whole time that Spurs had every single player in the, in the half, they kept two. They had Danny Rose and normally like Sanchez was next to them, um, or um, Alderweireld, and. Newcastle defended deep 5-4-1 all the way through and whenever the ball went to one side the wing back would push up it came a four at the back and the wing back went up to press them there was no space and then the thing I think was bad with Pochettino is that they didn't really overcommit enough forwards early enough so they couldn't get advantage of any space at any point in the game and it seemed like he didn't I don't know why he didn't put more players forward it was so balanced why do you need both Sissoko and Winks in that midfield they were so ponderous Spurs just passing short little balls at each other, and I, I don't want to criticize Spurs. I just want to. I just want to applaud Newcastle. I was in awe of them. There's so often when I watch these Premier League matches, whether I'm watching them live or I'm watching the highlights, the only thing I can think to myself is, "This is a disgrace." When I look at how players defend, you know, and even if it's, you know, you oh, we'll get to City later and Bournemouth, but. It's things that, you know, you just say it's really not that difficult to just have a shape and stick to it and just to have players in line and always with the minimal space in between defenders to understand how to close down space and your midfielders actually coming back to help the defence. It was just such great organisation. I really wanted to applaud Steve Bruce and I really feel like he deserves all the plaudits after everything that he's had to go through so far. I thought, you know, I loved John Linton. I thought that he was... He's, you know, he combines Joe the physical, Linton. Joe Ellington. Joey Linton. Joey Linton. How, yeah, according to my uh, Apple, it's Joey Linton. He combines the, the physical with the technical. He's good with his feet. He's mobile. Um, I, I think he's excellent at keeping a possession. So I think he's definitely someone that we should mention. But I also want to mention Fabian Shaw. I think he didn't have a very good game in his first match at the Premier League. Um, at the start of the season but I just feel like look what happens when you have a defensive organisation how easy it is for, for centre-backs to look to be to, to be heroes or to do so well and you looked at them all the time and you just thought they 
they didn't do anything really wrong. They were perfect throughout. And I, I, I really feel like that's Steve Bruce. Well, Bruce came in in the press conference afterwards, said that to suggest he's management 900 games and suggest he doesn't know how to set up a team tactically, he said, is disappointing. And uh, there's nothing he did in this game that is particularly innovative or no, astounding. Exactly. It is the very basic, basic. you learn at any level of coaching um, how to set up like a low block in a 5 for one It's really basic, but it, it's very well organised and drilled. The cross that Atsu put in for uh, Joe Ellington to score <laughs> was uh, Sissoko might have closed him down quicker, but it's Atsu, and you're like, ah, it's Atsu, what's he going to do? He's left foot, he's <laughs> going to pass it to the wing. Cause, and that's the way he shows him as well. But Atsu's ball that curls around the defender goes straight through Sissoko because he kicks it at his face. It's really weird. There's no other way he could have got it round him, really. And Sissoko naturally ducks out the way, so the ball goes past him. And then um, Danny Rose, uh, someone was saying, I, I read that someone said, oh, he was out of position. He was absolutely fine because from where he was, there's no reason to be any closer. Had he been one metre to his left, he would have been able to get back and block the shot. It's a, it's a really weird goal that they conceded. Pochettino said it was cheap. I think it was weird. I think that for him it's because they, he just, you know, like there were just so many Newcastle were able to pass the ball with relative ease before. No, they were, did not. They barely had the ball. They had to get rid of it all the time. No, when they were in trying... In that move, I In think. that move. Oh, yeah. But then that was, that was from... Uh, so they absorbed the counter-attack and then... Uh, and this is what I'm saying about playing it from the back, you see. So uh, they, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when they had the ball, they then were able to get into their little triangle pyramids um, so they could pass it around, ping it about, and that allowed them to get back into their shape. So the passing wasn't to kick them up the pitch. It was literally just to allow them to get into their attacking shape, which is three at the back, and then uh, you had Richie wide left so that Atsu could come inside so that they had that shape. So if they hadn't passed out from the back, they wouldn't possibly know to score that goal because they wouldn't be able to get up the pitch in their shape. Okay, listen. Juventus reached two Champions League final. We don't play the ball out from the back. We still manage it. So there. Spurs, last 15 <laughs> Premier League games going back into last season. Spurs were in the relegation zone. Yeah. yeah. A bit like Watford. There's a real hangover from what happened at it, the end of last season. You can feel it's a psychological thing at the moment, though. It just feels very flat around them. And they. I can't remember the last time they played well in the league. I literally can't remember. Is the Ericsson thing hanging over them a little bit? Yeah, I think the Ericsson thing's to. definitely hanging over them. Um, I do think the I think Danny Rose's situation, when you've got players who are publicly coming out at the end of one season saying, you know, I'm pretty much up for a move now, I'm ready to go. Ericsson won't sign a contract, so he won't actually commit to what Tottenham want to do. It's got to cause a problem. It's absolutely got to. But it's a real hangover. They, they can't get themselves going. They can't get any momentum going. Do you think that happens on the pitch, though? So I, I agree it must be a thing off the pitch during the week. But when you're actually in the game... That's got to impact what happens on the pitch, surely. That I don't think so. You're, you're, you're just thinking you're, you want to win. That's all you're thinking if I, you're I, an I elite sportsman. I think that sportsman. something starts to sap away at you when you just feel like you're playing with people who don't necessarily want to be there or who don't... You don't feel are in that mindset of playing with intensity and desire. That bit of intensity does seem to have just... They yeah. seem Vanished. to have lost a bit of intensity. But that, that's been true of, I think, the Spurs for a while now. Like I said, yeah. I don't well, think it's it it that good. I, don't, I, really don't, I really don't get it. And like I've taught you this before, but I think Pochino's a good manager, but I don't think he's this genius. And I think a lot of their players shoot over their XG and that's why they score so many goals and get so high up the table. We've had a David Luiz argument. We can't have a Pochettino Look, there's sometimes, you know, when you don't have a, a great team in the sense that you don't have like 15 beautiful creative midfielders to pick from or three of the world's greatest centre-backs or whatever it is, then at times your intensity is everything. 
and your organization makes the difference. And I just think at the moment when I don't even know if he feels the intensity or mm. he feels a certain desire, because I think also for him, it's all a bit stale now as well. And it's hard to, this is why, you know, Pep Guardiola used to insist on, on regenerating the squad every year because it just adds a little bit of motivation. It just makes it a different atmosphere within the, within the dressing room, because even in the top, and best clubs in the world, people want to move on. People want new challenges. You just praise Pep Guardiola. I know. <laughs> What's happening? Pretty obvious solution for Spurs, I think. Get them back to Wembley. <laughs> Hello, podcast listeners. My name's Danny Boyle, and I'm the Telegraph's Commuter Editions Editor, which means it's my job to provide you with great journalism that makes your journey to and from work as enjoyable as possible. I can't prevent train delays or guarantee you won't get caught in the rain, but I can make sure you're up to date with the best of The Telegraph every morning and evening. And I just wanted to let you know about one of the ways you can get all that in audio form. All you need to do is join my WhatsApp group. Every weekday, my colleague Chris Price and I bring you short audio briefings directly to your smartphone at eight in the morning and half past five in the afternoon. And the best bit is completely free to sign up and easy. Just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. I look forward to having you as a group member soon. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now. Matt Law, I put it to you, Norwich and Chelsea are the two most entertaining sides in the Premier League this year. A great game between those two. It was two a great game. I, I always enjoyed it to Caro, and I particularly enjoyed it this season. Yeah. Hard, play, hard place to get to. Trust, Actually, trust do you, know you what, guys my... to watch and love a game in which nobody understands how to defend. It was a fun game to Welcome watch. Welcome to though. England, mate. The defending, <laughs> the f- defending was abysmal. Um, it was not one for defence being on top. Kurt Zuma had a shocking first half. He improved slightly in the second half. Um, but it was really good fun. Um, Norwich are going to be a very entertaining team to watch this season. My slight fear for Norwich, um, well, it's probably more than a slight fear for Norwich, is you can't go through a season needing to score two or three goals every game to win games. Um, with the level of play they have, they've got good players, but I don't think you can count on them to keep it going all the way through a season. So you can't defend like that all season. Yeah, you'd suspect that Pookie has been fantastic, but that he'll get, you would have thought, that, well, not found he'll go out, through dry spells and yeah, everything. And he's also, got to. He's and, new, isn't he? And, yeah. sort of and the team are new. And, you know, people don't bit. know about Cantwell too much at the moment. People don't know about Buendia, who's a good player. When when the teams start to figure them out a little bit, they're going to find it harder to score goals. And the way they are at the back, that's going to cause them a big problem. But Chelsea, I mean, Chelsea won, but Chelsea have got issues. Chelsea have got real issues. It's going to be a tough season for Chelsea. What about Watford, JJ? <laughs> Crisis time for them. They were soundly beaten by West Ham. Some uh, discussion that Gracia might be yeah. facing the sack pretty soon. Why have they started so poorly? Um like Short answer. Side. I don't know. It's um, they're they haven't really made any sign. I mean, they're the, so if we talk about individual defenders making a difference, their their defensive duo was Cathcart and Dawson for the game against West Ham. So Craig Dawson is the only defender he got in in the summer, and that's not really hugely inspiring. Dawson's a fine defender, but you'd think he'd also be a fine defender if he was in the Championship or if, you know he's not going to take you to the top ten of the Premier League. The team they've got is probably good enough to finish in the league but it's never going to challenge for Europe I wouldn't have said um, Troy Deeney's out injured so they're missing that kind of leadership on the pitch the 10 they played was Tom Cleverley Mr Sideways uh, <laughs> they, like Will Hughes missed a chance at the back post it's really I can see why he missed it it's quite difficult but they just don't have great players and other teams have better players than them Garcia seems to be an absolutely fine manager which is why I think they'll be 
all right long term but if other teams have better players like West Ham had much better players on the pitch and those are the ones that win the games their best players are Decore seems to have started the season quite badly mm-hmm. um, I don't know whether he's another one who he, if you, or every transfer window you hear noises about Decore wanting to go and there seems to be stuff leaked from his camp this summer it was Everton and it's always very much from, from his side um, that these stories come out from which suggest they're trying to create a market trying to get him out and I'd have said that's gone on for at least three transfer windows now and now looking at his performances you wonder whether he's stepped off a little bit having not got the move he clearly wants to get. Quite and Mark Noble back for West Ham as well possibly not the most gifted player that's on West Ham's books (laughs) but seemingly quite key to how they operate. Most gifted penalty taker has he ever missed one? I don't think he's ever missed (laughs) one has he? He's missed two apparently in his lifetime. Wowzers. Both Um, in training. Man United should sign him. When I mentioned him in pre-season when we were doing our little season previews, you laughed when I said that he was immovable from mid- midfield. I can't I be expected to remain consistent over the course of the season. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, do so you, you can't just now, <laughs> But I do think that he's really important for Declan Rice and he's important in the sense of adding a little bit of security in that midfield because when you watch them against Brighton, I feel like Rice was asked to do so much that he was a little bit overwhelmed. And having um, Mark Noble alongside him, I just think that's great, but... What I love so much about West Ham right now is Sebastian Haller. I thought that I think that he's such a great purchase for them. I think he's such a gifted, gifted striker. He was one of the reasons why Luka Jovic had such a wonderful season in Eintracht and obviously got that big move to Real Madrid. And he's a guy who, you know, I mean, other than the fact that you saw the great timing and and the fact that he can use every part of his body and contorted in different ways uh, to score the goals. What he's so good at as well is that he's one of those number nines that actually helps the team in the final third, who really brings other players into play, who creates as well as scores. And I'm so excited to see him going forward. Did he play in a two, Jovic? How did they play? No, three. Uh, well, yeah, but it was like a triangle. A player in the hole. A ten? like a Not him. There was, I forgot, a Rebic. Ah, oh, I see. I get it. Cool. Put your tactics boards away. <laughs> up at Bramwell Lane Leicester's Harvey Barnes the early front runner in the award for kicking the ball the hardest this season I like that his shot uh, which uh, gave Leicester the win would have broken the speed limit on the motorway <laughs> in England what do you think of Chris Wilder afterwards Mina do you think it was a bit harsh basically telling his players they didn't deserve applauding off just because they'd made an effort I know I sort of love that though but you know this is how you can tell the difference between me and JJ I, I'm I'm someone who I feel like you should always be angry because I support a big team and then you know everything is mediocre unless it's wonderful whereas JJ here is an Aberdeen fan Huge and he's team. just really he's just happy with just an effort you know <laughs> and um Listen, I do think to a certain extent that, you know, you're right. You can't just applaud a player because, you know, he did his job. That's what you're being paid to do at the end of the day. But I also think he was harsh in saying that, you know, the fact is, is they couldn't keep possession. Your team isn't exactly Barcelona. So there are going to be times where you lose possession, but you need to be able to to get back and understand how to put a defensive unit in, in place because many teams at that level will lose possession and you need to have a plan B. Even Madrid did this this weekend against Valladolid. But you need to have that problem at the back sorted out and you need to have a plan B and I'm not entirely sure Wilder has that Villa Matt Mm. off the mark against Everton just about edged it wild scenes of celebration in my household on Friday night it's really nice when you win a Friday night game yeah you just can relax the whole weekend just laugh at everyone else getting stressed out about their teams I mean it's the worst if you lose it because it wrecks even more of your weekend (laughs) it's a lovely feeling to win a Friday night game how did Villa do it uh, a little bit of luck, in all fairness. I'd be the first to admit that. Uh, Everton probably 
Everything should have scored. Field. They should have scored. But, uh, I mean, Villa, Villa did well. They had a game plan. Um, they were hitting it long to Wesley, who had got quite a lot of criticism during the week. And it from that point of view, it worked because Wesley played really, really well. He held the ball up brilliantly. It was a little bit... When I heard JJ talking about um, old Big Joel's performance uh, for Newcastle, it sounded quite similar in a way. I didn't see that, that game live, I only saw the highlights. But the Villa game... They, they used Wesley so much just getting the ball into him and waiting for the runners to come off him. And it got over Everton's press by doing that. And then there was a lot of last-ditch defending, a lot of last-ditch defending, making up for mistakes. But they got there and they needed to get there to give themselves some momentum to buoy them up. And um, it was a really good victory for them. I thought that um, Everton, you know, obviously everyone has been talking about the fact that their defence has been doing so well recently and it has been. I thought their midfield let them down this time round, and I think that you could really feel the absence of um, Gay. Is that his name? And that's you know when you look at Schneiderlin and Andre Gomez, and you just feel like that that wasn't going to protect the back line, and they didn't exactly have their their best game either. Andre Gomez, Andre Gomez had the worst game ever. He exactly. just couldn't pass. Just had such a such a bad game. So but, I think it made But it you a lot would do against John Villa. McGinn, who is probably the world's <laughs> best midfielder. Well, that's it. They miss with, with Gay gone. They miss um, uh, that kind of ball runner. He was. It's one of those players that just runs and snaps at players. He had something like the highest tackles yeah, or interceptions. Yeah, mm. it's that kind of drive, and it makes everyone work a bit harder next to him. Whereas Schneiderlin and Gomez are quite similar players, and Precisely. Sigurdsson doesn't really come back. So you're you're missing a lot of energy in that midfield. And McGinn is, yeah. He's just quality. The best. I love McGinn. I mean, when you have that kind of midfield that works together, then you, defense can relax a little bit. When, but when you exactly exactly that, when you have two players and then not enough energy, not enough hard work in that midfield, you're struggling. I mean, they had a couple of midfielders out, didn't they? I, um, the boy they signed in Get the summer, in. he's out for a while now. It sounds I like think that. It's That's three quite, yeah. But Delph would give them that as well. Delph would give them more snap and more character. Finally, Mina, I know you were not happy about the most predictable result of the weekend, Manchester City seeing off Bournemouth down at Dean Court. <laughs> we're running no, out of time. We're running out of time slightly, but tell me about Bournemouth defending very quickly. No, no, I was. I, I feel like Carl Walker should have been sent off. Um, I thought that it was a very predictable win, obviously. Um, David Silva is just yet another wonderful player. Um, 400th appearance for City. Yes, absolutely. And I love that Pep Guardiola, every time he's asked about a player, he's the best he's ever worked with. So, God, he's a lucky man. How many goals do you think Sterling's going to so- score this season? Stones? Sterling. Oh. I just didn't pronounce it very well. 430. I'm, I'm starting to think Sterling. I'm starting to think Sterling could get up towards 40 goals this season. In all, all comps. All, com- all comps. But I, I, I just feel like Love we need comps. to have Steve Bruce just go around and sometimes just teach these guys just to get into basic defensive shapes at times. When you do have the movement of City, it makes everything so much harder, and I get that, and I'm not going to blame Steve Bournemouth. Bruce had a good weekend, but I think you're overestimating the powers of Steve Bruce. Yes. I just, I'm basing it entirely <laughs> on that one game. <laughs> I don't think Eddie Howe does. Like, he definitely knows how to set up a... I, he definitely does, but I just feel like on that occasion, and I do think that you are up against a very fast moving and 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 there's so many players right in in the way that they attack their spaces. Yeah. But I do think the line between midfield and defense was rather large, so it just there were so many spaces for all these creative midfielders to pick up and 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 obviously occupy and then create. And so for me, I would have just made that a little bit more compact. It's time for Europe. Let's have a song for Europe. Thank you very much, Luciano, bringing the Italian-flavoured noise as we welcome back Syria to our lives. Is this Juve. racist or not? No, <laughs> Mina, no. It's a celebration of Italian culture. 
Juve, your team at Parma this weekend, uh, winning 1-0, fairly unlikely goal scorer in Chiellini. How was the performance? Ronaldo scored, but it was chalked off because of VAR. Don't make Joel start the timer. (laughs) It was a a really boring match. I would love to tell you that they've started to play the Sari way and Sari ball, but it wasn't that at all. Sari's not there, is he? No, Sari's recovering from pneumonia, so he wasn't there against Padma, and he won't be there when Juventus face Napoli next weekend, which is obviously the big match. It's already week two, and it's like, "Ah, I can't believe he's not going to face his former side because that would have been so good for the headlines. But he's uh, unfortunately out with pneumonia. Aaron Ramsey is also out, uh, still recovering from his injury. It was a very boring game because you could just feel the heat and they just started getting, all all of them were getting exhausted around the 70th minute. And it was very much of an Allegri type of game as opposed to a Sari offensive fluidity type of game. So really nothing to report on. The team to have watched over the weekend was obviously Inter, um, who played Lecce, and it was Antonio Conte in charge. And it was just spectacular in every way. What was the score? 4-0. Take that, Lecce. Beautiful goals. Get back to 1997, where you belong. And you know what I think is so good about Lecce, actually, is I know they conceded four goals. They did have some defensive shape, so, you know. But I love the fact that they were, you know, it's it's Liverani, who was obviously... um, Leighton Orient. Oh. Do you remember? Just about. Um, he, he, had a, he had a really bad time in Leighton yeah. Orient, but, but that was not more management's fault. But these guys play on the front foot. They're so expansive. They're so fun to watch, but they're also quite good, usually defensively. Obviously, not so much um, against Inter. But And Lukaku got a goal. I mean, I thought he was terrible throughout, but he got his goal. You know, the first touch again, letting him down in certain occasions. He doesn't work so well with Lautaro Martinez. So that's interesting to watch. But midfield, it's kids and it's beautiful inter wow the team I loved um, I read Conte's quote after the game and it sounds like a reporter had said to him is that like the spark for the season and it translated his reply to uh, we're not we don't want to spark we've got to be dynamite yes that's so Conte never one for hyperbole is he (laughs) he was also can I just ask him because he was also claiming that he's um He's made his three-five-two more attacking than it used to be. He was it's claiming been that very attacking, in my opinion. He was claiming that this is a new version of the three-five-two that he's come up with. Did you see any evidence of that? It is a little bit more attacking. Um, I don't think that he has all the players back. Like he doesn't have Godin at the moment. He doesn't have De Vrij in defence. So he was only playing with Skriniar and Ranocchia and D'Ambrosio, who aren't exactly the players that I would put in that back line. But it is a side that basically is a lot more gung-ho. He said, you know, there's, he doesn't agree with formations being, you know, um, defensive or offensive. He said you can make them however you are. But he always felt that the transition in a 3-5-2 can be very dangerous going forward. And and that's what he's going to try to do. He was so complimentary of Lukaku, obviously, because that's his purchase. Um, but we also have to note, like, as much as that was really fun to watch, Napoli played the most entertaining game against Fiorentina. And you can see in Serie A this season, there's going to be a lot of attack, not very good defending, unfortunately, because it's just been goals galore everywhere. And that's the only thing that worries me a bit because I just don't want to feel sick. I'll have to me. shut down Serie A if the defending's <laughs> not very good. Yeah, I really feel like we should if, that, if they continue defending like this. What about over in Germany, Mina Lewandowski with a hat-trick against Schalke? Do we not talk about Lewandowski enough as one of the very best strikers in Europe? I mean, I feel like he ever, he gets that rating, right? Everyone thinks of when you think of your best number nines, you think of Luis Suarez maybe like three years ago rather than now. You think of your Lewandowski's. My personal favourite is Karim Benzema. Um, but the thing with Lewandowski, which is why I was having this debate with JJ before, is that 
after Dortmund, and I know that he's been exceptional and so consistent for Bayern, but I, I have an issue with him when it comes to the big matches and he faces physical defenders. I've said that before. I think that if you give him a nudge in the first, I don't know, 10 minutes and you elbow him and you scare him off, he won't run down that channel again. And he'll tend to start sort of playing away from the areas where he thinks he's going to be hit. And so for me, that's always been my criticism of him, which is why I don't necessarily think in some of the biggest matches, you know, in your Champions League stages towards the latter end, um, he managed to do enough for Bayern. But then he does have Nico Kovac as coach. Finally, we are switching sports at the end of the show and asking, after Ben Stokes, it's incredible heroics for England over the weekend. What is the best solo effort you've ever seen in football. We've had some responses from our friends on social media. Mike Gill says, in a one-off game, Bale against Inter Milan. Fine. Brian McGee says, Paul Miskimmin scoring and involved in the three goals needed to beat Portaferry after going down a key man early in the first half. In Portaferry, it was, rude word, class. No idea what Brian's going on about there. And Stephen Bunday winning the award for most English answer, saying David Beckham versus Greece. One hell of an effort. Not just the free kick. He didn't stop running all game. Matt Law, best individual performances in football, please. Uh, it's not really the performance. The image that always comes to my mind when you ask these questions is the Terry Butcher with the bandage around his head. and the, Again, the Stephen, you know, Stephen Monday, United in yes. great British pride. Exactly. But in terms of actually witnessing performances, there's not, there's not one, but just Paul McGrath, generally, when he was at Villa, who basically didn't have a knee and would just get strapped up time and time again. I mean, his, his book documents the fact he was often drunk as well and could see two or three balls going, and yet he would just get to everything. And it's unbelievable. Ledley King, similarly, I watched him for Tottenham a lot, and the way they used to strap him up and he would get through it was incredible. I like that you were asked this question for the newspaper on Monday and you've given a different answer. Have you reconsidered it? You said Messi in the paper. Well, I'll be honest. I didn't pay much attention to the one in the newspaper. That's good, Matt. That's I good. couldn't really be bothered to think about it. And I just wrote the first one that came to mind. <laughs> so it? I've given you the proper response. And the newspaper's just got yeah. a shoddy off the cuff. Digital first, as it should be. Mina, what's your response? So you're seeing a solo effort in terms of like individual performance. Well, you know about cricket, don't you, Mina? You know the sort no, of the, no si- the site. Well, Ben Stokes did a very good cricket on Saturday. <laughs> did a very uh, good basically won the whole test on his own. Uh, so, so a guy who's just done everything on his own. Yeah, have yeah. you seen the question, Mina? I did send it around yesterday. Yeah, I know, but I, I, I read solo effort. I meant, so, I thought you meant solo effort on goal. Could be. And I was going to tell you, know, you it's, about it's Paul more, Potter's you know, goal. A, a, someone doing something so seismic in their performance that they've got a fantastic result for their team. <sighs> Should we go to JJ first? <laughs> JJ, what have you got? Well, I mean, if you pick solo goals, you've got things like Messi's against Athletic Bilbao, where he runs against past like, every single player and scores. But a uh, remarkable solo effort at Aberdeen was when Nigel Pepper was <laughs> substituted on and subsequently sent off before it even been announced on by the, the stadium commentator. So I think that was probably a, my favourite solo effort. Mina? What about, do you remember that time that Mike on at Inter got burnt? Was it by a Spurs player? Yeah, I'll tell, tell you who else remembers that. Mike Gill. Oh, really? Who nominated it on social media. Ah, see? I think we think alike. Who was it that burned him? Bale. Bale, oh, Bale ended Bale? his career, basically. <laughs> you, you mean metaphorically? You don't mean like... <laughs> no, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, do, I was just like, oh, this is such a fantastic effort. I'd like to think that one of the things that made me like, you know, but it wasn't really a solo effort, I was going to say was um, Ronaldo against Atletico Madrid in that comeback. I thought that was fantastic. Over the that works. Days. All right, Mina. Well done. Yeah. Pass. Yeah, pass. Okay. Just <laughs> just above 51%. You must have a QPR one, Tom. 
Oh, yeah, just a Delta app for the entirety of the 2010-11 season. I've never seen a player so clearly out of place in a league he was playing. He absolutely ripped it up. Best thing that he did all season, we played Swansea on, I think it was either Boxing Day or New Year's Day, right in front of me. We were 3-0 up. Uh, Terrapt, like flicked his heel out to control a crossfield pass, just glib, like he didn't care. Joe Allen came charging in to try and close him down. Joe Allenton. Joe Allenton. To give him his proper name. Joe Allen comes charging in. This was all right in front of me. Tarapt just nutmegged him and ran around him. And so I saw Joe Allen run towards me, basically. And he just also said a very, very rude word, very loudly. <laughs> Fantastic. And then Tarapt scored. Brilliant. Hooray. Great Aww. days. You've prepared for this. Oh, I've always got a QPR answer ready to go, Mean. That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter before next week. I won't be back with you. Mina Rizuki will be hosting next Monday. Email her if you like. Don't email her. I'm not going to give you Mina's email address. You can contact me on Twitter, though. That'll do. It'll get to her. At Tom with an H Gibbs. I think she's at Mina Rizuki. Probably. Contact the podcast if you like. You know the email address now. Surely, afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. We will read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club as well. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. Just type the words Audio Football Club and a pleasant avatar will be your reward. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.